Welcome to Speaking of Strong Style, where we discuss the news, issues, and events surrounding New Japan Pro Wrestling. We're back live. I'm Stephen Conway. With me, as always, Jeremy Finestone. We are contributors to the Fight Game Media Network. We are thrilled to be back here on uh, the YouTubes live. And, uh, Jeremy, we have had a very busy week. The block finals, the quarterfinals, got a lot of stuff to talk about, some interesting matches. Uh, it's been a bit of a whirlwind, a lot of shows in a short period of time. How are you feeling? I'm feeling hot. It's very hot. Just like the matches were hot for the quarterfinals and the block finals. Everything is hot. I don't like it, but the word is hot. The word is hot. That's, that's a, all I got. Yeah, all week long, it was about 105 degrees uh, Fahrenheit here in Texas. So uh, it has indeed been very, very hot. And I've been huddling inside the air conditioning uh, watching these shows here. and, uh, and uh, But uh, quite a few of them, of course. Be... <laughs> I, have, I have to tell you, we might have a special guest today. And it's not Dave Meltzer. But it might be my dog. We it never, might be. It might be my dog. They are hmm. they are on a tear right now, and uh, I have calmed them down right before we got the show started. But all it takes is one thing. So we're gonna live on the edge here today. <laughs> so we're gonna t we're gonna break down each block and how it all finished up. So when when last we left you a week ago, we were going into the final night of block action, and then we've also had the quarterfinals. So we're gonna talk about all that kind of stuff. We're gonna preview the final four, and we're gonna talk about our Shingo Takagi and Evil headed for a hair versus hair match. And I wanted to say hello to Colin already. Colin, we're glad you're here. Of course, uh, very glad to be back live and interacting with you. Uh, you are. You love going live. I do. And it's so much better. I just get so much more energy right here. Plus, not only it's almost football season, I got my Liverpool jersey on. Uh, the Premier League starts up tomorrow. Uh, it's, it's a great time of year. World Cup's going. I'm, I'm thrilled. Even if even if my uh, my team is out now. Uh, Not quite else. kettle chip territory, but you're getting there. Oh, man. That, you know, one of these days might be. Uh, it might get promoted to kettle chips uh, area. I, in the meantime, I'm rooting for Japan in uh, the World Cup in England. Uh, those are my two kind of teams that I'm going for there now that uh, the U.S. is out. So, uh, yeah, we're going to get into this in just a moment. Just a reminder that uh, we are also going to be going live for the G1 Finals on G1 Finals Day at this time. Uh, so that is uh, 4.30 p.m. where I am, 2.30 uh, for the uh, folks in the Pacific time zone, 5.30 Eastern Time U.S. on Sunday, we will have another show here live where we will be discussing the uh, G1 finals. And we're going to go over the whole card. We're going to break the whole thing down. And uh, the reason we're doing that is now that we're here settling into our new time slot on uh, Thursdays at, at this uh, time, we're going to be doing this live each week here. We felt that was a little bit far to go from Sunday to Thursday to talk about a big show. So frequently for things like King of Pro Wrestling, uh, you know, the, the uh, destruction shows, perhaps, you know, stuff like that. The certainly uh, Dominion next year and going through all those Dontakus, the big cards. We'll be going live on Sunday to talk about them so we can preview them on Thursday, have instant reaction on Sunday. And then once we've had a few days to process, we'll be back on at a regular time slot. We think that's going to be a good way to cover it. And I feel good about that schedule. But first one coming up on Sunday, Jeremy. We are. Uh... We're getting a little too big for our britches. I remember when we used to do one of these shows every two weeks, and now we're doing three in a week. What we're, is happening to us? We used to really sweat. It's funny to think about now. We used to really sweat. God, is there enough to talk about in yeah. a week? Every week? Every week in New Japan? Thing? Boy, that we figured out real quick. It was not going to be a problem. I mean, there are other podcasts, God bless them, that talk three hours a week, every week, about New Japan. Post-wrestling, I found out. Had, an, had a recap every night that went an hour. God bless them. 
God bless making the time to do hour-long recaps for every one of the shows. That is a level of deep dive that we don't do here, and I applaud them for doing it there. Absolutely. So now uh, we are going to go over these shows here. And of course, we are available still as a podcast. You can find us wherever you get your podcast. If you're listening via podcast, thank you very much for doing so. And uh, please tell a friend, leave us a five-star review. All those things help people find the show, and we're grateful for the help. So... Let's jump into these block finals. What do you think, man? I this uh, let's do it. Uh, it. They began on Saturday, August fifth, and uh, and that was uh, the big show there. The and fall, it was beginning of the fall of my confidence for Kaito Kiyomiya happened. Right well, now. yeah, and we we were in Osaka, so I want to mention I'm kind of a venue nerd, as you know. I like to learn about the buildings and things. So the last two uh, shows in Osaka before this one. Uh, drew over 4,000 people each, but they were two uh, major shows. So, for instance, uh, the last one there drew over 4,000 had uh, Will Ospreay versus Tetsuya Naito for the U.S. title, FTR versus Great O'Connor and Jeff Cobb, uh, the TV title, tiny, uh, TV title tournament. That's some alliteration for you. Semifinals. That was in November of 2022. The last one was February 11th. That was New Beginning in Osaka. Jay against Hikaleo in that Loser Leaves Japan match. And Okada versus Shingo Takagi for the title. Those were the last two big shows here. So this one drew uh, 3,150. So 1,000 less than those. But there were two nights in Osaka. I'm not chalking this one up as a failure so much. There were two shows, Saturday and Sunday. Each drew around 3,000 or so. They drew 6,000 plus for the weekend. And uh, it's a little bit different than uh, than I would say a one nighter supercard type of thing. So, uh, yeah, and uh, we'll see. Um, but I just want to mention that as far as the attendance goes. So lower than the last couple of shows, but a different circumstance for Osaka. Good crowds, though. They were enthusiastic, I thought. And we opened up the uh, with uh, preview tags, which we had not seen before on this tour. All shows until these block finals were nothing but G1 matches, and everybody else was getting the time off. Well, we started to see some other people join the cards and see some other uh, some Young Lions wrestling, and we had some preview tags. Nothing of particular consequence happened in any of these preview tags, so we're not going to go over those in any great detail. You can look them up on WrestlingData.com, Cage Match, or on uh, New Japan website if you want to see the results of those. So uh, if anything comes up that we think of that's worth mentioning to you, we will do so. The first block match, though, was, as you see right here, we got it up, and it's uh, we have Kiyomiya and Ren Narita is the first one we're going to be talking about. I got nervous when this one started the card. Okay. I'll tell you that right now. When I was predicting it and I was thinking, oh, Kiyomiya might might make it forward. Like, wait, he's at the beginning of the card. Uh, okay. <laughs> and then what? I was just like, let's play this out. And then... Yeah, we, we kind of got surprised result out of this one. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. But we also had, I think we had Suji and Gabe Kidd before this one, actually. Mm, okay. but, but, we'll, but we'll look at this. But either way, uh, Narita and Kato Kiyomiya. So uh, we can, what well, we wish, do you want to talk we'll about? We'll do Suji and Gabe Kidd first. Suji and Gabe Kidd was the first uh, block match. And uh, we got the usual jump start from Gabe Kidd uh, until, uh, and, you know, it just looked like a normal thing. He had beaten up uh, Yoda Suji in the aisle. And he's he's pounding him, bringing him to the ring, and assaulting this uh, poor Yoda Suji until Yoda Suji came out. What? 
And I remember putting it in my notes, and I have it here my, in my little notebook that, uh, boy, this guy really looks like Yoda Sushi. is like, you know, because they've done this before with young lions. Remember how Zack Sabre Jr. had Fujita dressed up as him, basically, put him in the leather jacket so that he could be a This looks a level up, though. That is definitely it was, it like, was. I was like, boy, this dude looks a back well. pocket move right there. We found out why. This is indeed Yoda Suji's identical twin brother, who not only not only looks just like Yoda because they're identical twins, but has has grown the same facial hair and grown his hair out, probably so they could do something like this. And the way he was bumping around a little bit may have had a little bit of training as well. <laughs> Maybe not to the level that his brother has, but did you know yeah. he had a twin brother? No. I did you? Either. I had no idea. And it sounded like Kevin Kelly had no clue. <laughs> Yeah, that was pretty cool. You want to talk about playing the long game there, not to say anything about it for a while. But uh, yeah, so anyway, uh, they realized that was, there were two Yoda Sujis around. For a while, Kid was beating up both of them. Uh, anyway, it, it all uh, came down toward the end where they uh, had a long chop battle, a long one, which I've seen better. Uh, but then there was a forearm battle a little later. There was a lot of that back and forth, you know, stand in front of each other and take turns hitting in this match. There's a lot of that throughout the G1. A lot of uh, that before, on the final night of bracket play. There were a lot of chops, a lot of claps, a lot of head bugs. <laughs> Everybody was just getting it all in at the very end. <laughs> it was a better forearm battle, though, at the end there. And Kid got the best of it. That was at about the 10-minute mark. Uh, later on, Yoda Suji won an open-handed strike, uh, which, uh, can, we, can we just call it what it is? It was a slap fight. Yeah. It and was, a in fact, fight. a slap fight. And uh, finally hit the spear, and uh, that uh, gave him the win there. So he hit, he hit the spear. That gave him seven points. Yoda Suji finishes the uh, G1 on seven points, and uh, that was uh, the first match there. So Suji going out with a win, and uh, thankfully his brother was there to give him an assist. So, uh, yeah, and then we had Ren Narita and Kato Kiyomiya. So Kiyomiya, uh, we, we're going to talk about this a little mm. bit. Because... <laughs> so... <laughs> Narita, uh, this was a really good match. Let's start right there. It was yes. a really good match. Leg work on Narita. Uh, he used a figure four, that him being Kato Kiyomiya. A lot of big moves back and forth. It was a strong style wrestling match. Uh, you know, the funny thing is, like, they keep mentioning Kiyomiya being a student of, of Kaiji Mudo, and he is, but he wrestles a lot more like Mitsuharu Masawa, who's this kind of in-ring hero. And he wears green uh, and, and silver, which are Masawa's cover, colors. He hits tiger suplexes. Uh, he does things like tiger drivers. Uh, roaring elbows, which is that spinning uh, elbow that he gives to people right there. Those are all Masawa moves. Yet, over and over again, we just kept hearing, oh, this guy's a student of Keiji Muto. Well, he, he was in Noah, I guess, when Muto was. And he is a student of, of him, no doubt. He was in on it, but he wrestles a little bit more like Misawa, but I suppose if you're on a New Japan broadcast, you want to bring up Mudo more than you want to bring up Misawa, although yeah, they do fair. talk about him quite a bit. Uh, half Nelson Driver, that wouldn't look good. 15-minute mark there. Kiyomiya ended up running into Ren Narita's old finisher from really before he was on excursion, that overhead belly-to-belly -belly with the right? bridge. I was and like, out of nowhere. Yeah. And uh, got and that eliminated Kato Kiyomiya from contention right there. So Narita picked up a rare victory for him. He didn't uh, he didn't get a whole lot of victories in here, but he got one over Kato Kiyomiya. Fifteen minutes, seventeen seconds. What'd you think? Uh, I was surprised that Kiyomiya lost. Uh, I thought that he was going to be very likely going into the Elite Eight, but I can't fault this match. It it delivered. It was probably. Maybe Ren Ren's best match of the tournament, 
Uh, but I think that might have been by design. And then Kiyomiya really made a name for himself, I thought. And I don't think this is the last time by far we see him in New Japan pro wrestling, uh, if at all, because they are, they opened up new stories for him instead of taking care of the stories that were already there. So to me, that makes me think that there is a lot more with Kaido Kiyomiya, Kiyomiya going on in the future, and I'm okay with and Colin mentions here, can we have Narita and Umino fight just for our enjoyment at every show? They do tend to tangle if they're on opposite ends of I a preview tag. The first night of the G1. Yes, and uh, it, it's always entertaining. There is that uh, perception of uh, real heat between the two of them that's not there with Yoda Suji. It's like these two really seem to grate on each other a little bit more than the other uh, combinations right there, and I'm in favor of it. I do, I, and I thought that if that wasn't, uh, his best match, this Kiyomiya one, was for Narita. Those were his two best matches in the tournament. For sure. And, uh, yeah, anyway, there you go. Uh, Kato Kiyomiya eliminated. Surprise there. Uh, we're going to get into what we thought was going to happen versus what actually happened. We'll mention that at the end of each block. And uh, that was kind of my first surprise uh, here over the four days. There weren't a lot of surprises for us. Uh, Jeremy and I had this one dialed in pretty good. but uh, that Dude, was I one. picked a match on the final night that on the post wrestling, I was the only person to pick the fight, the finish. Whoa. Wow. One, one out of 195. Make sure you point that out when we get to it. I want, sure. We're getting ahead of ourselves. Sonata and Chase Owens was next. Now this one was inevitable. I thought I, I, he was Academic. going into the match, going to the match, the IWGP champion undefeated at that point. The idea that Chase Owens was going to upend him and keep him from going unbeaten was highly unlikely with all due respect to Chase. So, the crowd kind of understood that too. Uh, Chase, the only one thing you've noted this one is Chase actually successfully put the paradise lock on the champion for a while and was so excited for himself. He almost forgot to do anything about it. Uh, but he, and he did it all by himself. Apparently Milano collection AT who brought the move into new Japan. Uh, the, he was now doing commentary. He actually got to Milano and got him to teach him it. That's no, cute. that was the point. He said, no, screw you, Milano. I figured it out myself. Milano. Oh. never told him. I would have thought that like he ended up going with them. To- no, Milano stiffed him on it. You know, you know, you remember how Milano used to be in the tank for those guys, yeah. you know, Sonata yeah. and all that. So uh, anyway, uh, this was uh, never in doubt. But and uh, even with a knee brace shot where Chase took off his knee brace and clobbered Sonata with it, I don't think anybody in the building really bought anything except the eventual finish, which was you know the the, the win for Sonata. He finishes block play undefeated. And uh, that was part of what we suspected. We said it right here on the show that they might Old do that. prediction. <laughs> and said that Sonata might run the table just because Sonata needs it. And Sonata needs the boost. Uh, people are not necessarily completely convinced he's world championship caliber. And I'm not just talking about me. Uh, there are others. But, uh, yeah, and he went through undefeated. I do think it'll help him as champion I... going forward. Yeah. But, yeah. I feel like it just kind of happened and then they've already forgotten about it, uh, especially with the results today. Like, well, there, there is a... I like, bet it comes up again. They're off your shoulder with Sonata. Like, he's that good, but it's not coming off in the programming for me. The main event was Hikaleo and Shota Umino. So this is a win-in-your-in situation for these two. And it was our second surprise of the night as far as I'm concerned here. The first 10 minutes of that match, very even. Hikaleo hit a monster powerbomb. Boy, this guy's last ride powerbomb looks so great. And when he gets a guy up there, he uses his height perfectly. He's got long arms anyway, so he pushes the guy even further up. And it's just a splatter right there. Great looking move. And uh, his choke slam was countered into a DDT. That was a foreshadowing event there. 
there was a good struggle by Shota to get uh, a suplex on Hikaleo, which uh, really worked at the 15-minute mark. That got the crowd going. Uh, exchanging big moves later, Umino just ran into the power slam. Uh, he charged. Uh, he got that snap power slam that Hikaleo gets, and then choke slam for three. And I'll tell you what, with Hikaleo finishes second in the bracket, and we're going to go over the full results of the bracket, but my first impression is Hikaleo, they really believe in this guy, don't they? Because I'm not surprised he was pushed, Jeremy, but I am surprised that it happened now. He definitely has potential, and he can't teach size, can you? So there's all that there. I think they see him as a babyface, bad luck, Fale type. You know, Lance a guy Archer, that can... Maybe? Yeah, but I was surprised that he got his push before any of the Reiwa Three Musketeers were. I thought it was coming. I, and they clearly think that this guy has something. Remember, they chose him to run Jay White out of the promotion. So making the quarterfinals, pushing a top heel out of the whole company, there's real belief in the front office on Hikaleo, isn't there? Yeah, I think so. Um, I was, we were recording last week and we don't go live. We didn't go live, but we went over the bracket. And at the very end, right when you went on to be, I had this moment of like, oh shit, I've completely overlooked Hikaleo. And we moved on to B. And it was like nagging in the back of my head. I'm like, this dude could win. And the logic here is they aren't ready for the Rewa Three Musketeers. So they're going to bottleneck each other. They weren't planning on putting Kiyomiya above anyone else in the bracket. So that does leave Hikaleo and Chase Owens. And if you're going to go Hikaleo or Chase Owens, I would go Hikaleo. He's definitely had stronger matches. He's a stronger force of New Japan. And it was now or never because they couldn't do this next year with the rise of all the new talent. So it had to happen this year. All right. Well, there, there are thoughts there. I, I, I'm just surprised that it was uh, when it happened. I'm, I'm not disappointed. Yeah, I was I, I think shocked, he, but... I, I, I think he's a very talented guy, and I thought that he had real potential before he went off on his excursion right there. So I am happy to see that he is doing well. And, you know, he had another really good match in the quarterfinals that we're going to talk about later. So he is showing up in these matches. I mean, he's, you know, we're not, he's not a Will Ospreay level or Okada, but nobody else is. It, you know, but he's doing his part. He's having the mm -hmm. good matches when it's important to. The other, and here we are on the A block standing. So Sonata wins the block undefeated, 7-0, 14 points. There it is. He clinched that with two shows to go, which is very rare. Uh, Hikaleo finishes on eight. Yoda Suji with seven, so respect for him, shown. And then you have the log jam at six, which is Narita, Kiyomiya, Shota Umino. Gabe Kidd finished at five. Chase Owens at four. So my thoughts on this, Jeremy, is, is how weak is Noah politically? And what I mean by that is yeah. they've had these things with – they had the show, the joint show with, with, uh, with uh, New Japan and Noah, where almost all the New Japan talent went over, and certainly the key guys went over. They uh, had the the Muto show, the Great Muto show, where Naito beats him in the main event. Uh, they had this where Kiyomiya comes in, having won their version of the G1, which is the N1 tournament, going on concurrently last year. This was the guy that won it, Kato Kiyomiya. He has held the GHC title recently. And he comes in here and finishes, as you can see, kind of in the middle of the block. Uh, he kind of finished about mid-pack. And I'm just wondering, it's like, man, is, is Noah's bargaining position so weak that their top guy uh, only goes this far? And then he is 
habitually crapped on by Kevin Kelly and Chris oh, Charlton man. For, for reasons I don't understand. And Kevin even acknowledged that he just said, hey, if you don't like it, tough. And I'm like, okay, Kevin. I, but it it doesn't seem to make a lot of sense to me on there. I like I don't. He says I'm just telling the truth. I don't perceive it the same way Kevin Kelly does. He sees like he sees Kiyomiya half-assing it out there, and I don't. No. I you know maybe in the preview tags he's even said a lot of good things about Oiwa, who's they've been pairing him up with. I don't think he has sleptwalked through any tags more than the New Japan guys do. But Kelly and Charlton just go hard on him to the point where if I were a NOAA official and I was getting a translation of this, I might call up and say, what's this guy's problem? Is Kiyomi owe this guy money? We'll pay it back. <laughs> like, what is this? And it wasn't until Hamamatsu or something where Kevin Kelly actually said a few nice things about Came around Kiyomiya. on him a little bit. Yep. I'm like, God, geez, what, what does this guy do? I, I don't know. I, I don't get it, I guess. And he's just saying, well, if I'm harsh on Noah, all right, I guess Kevin Kelly doesn't like Noah that much. I it's a mystery to me. Uh, again, Kevin Kelly's the best announcer in the business. This whole blind spot for Kiyomiya is puzzling because I, I don't think he's say I, I don't think he's saying what's going on in the ring. I don't see it that way. I, I don't see Kiyomiya as being a half talent or half assing it. The only thing that I can lean on is what Justin Nipper from Write That Down and who now works with Noah. Uh, when he came on the show and you were gone back in January, he said that. Kiyomiya is probably going to be a year-long project in New Japan. And mm. so any instant gratification is probably not in the card. And I thought there would be at least a, you know, dangle the carrot and then pull it away with making it to the second round uh, mm. of the G1. But they went homegrown talent first, and that's okay. Yeah, it is. And again, it's not the decision that even bothered me all that much. I don't blame them for pushing their own guys. Uh, but I thought... It was just being a little harsh on the guy. <laughs> I didn't even think he did that still, bad. Even still, Kiyomiya got way more like face time and mm. exposure to the New Japan world and the audience that even if he lost, I don't look at him as a loser, if that makes no. sense. No. And, you know, the thing is, there's still time in this tour. Remember, G1 Finals Night is a big show. You know, that mm -hmm. that's a fairly big show. Something might happen there. This might not be over with here. That you know, as far as his story goes for the for the tournament. So, and of course, we don't know any of the undercard for semifinals night yet, uh, or finals night. Certainly, we don't know who's facing who. They're not announcing all that yet. So, uh, yeah, and yeah, they, they like you said, they softened up to him toward the end of the blocks, and they, you know, they they say over and over again, no one gets into our ear. Well, maybe they read some of the reaction to that. And just <laughs> like, on this guy. You could back a little bit, gentlemen. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Uh, anyway, next day at Osaka, Edion Arena again there. Uh, the attendance was 3,275 for uh, the B-Block finals. So, uh, yeah, they, they had the preview tags. Uh, they had a little thing that I'm going to mention that played into something later. Evil and Shingo Takagi got into it during a preview tag, and a pair of hair clippers were brought into the mix where none had been present before. Just all of a sudden, Evil wanted to shave Shingo Takagi, Takagi's head. And it played into matches later on. And I'm starting to wonder, Jeremy, if we're going to get a hair match with these two because they keep talking about shaving each other's head. They laid down the groundwork at the press conference, and we all forgot about it. Do you oh, remember yeah. that Evil said at the press conference, if he doesn't make it to the next bracket, he would shave his head. And okay. 
And so he had the Clippers for that final match night. Uh, or Shingo brought out the Clippers for that final match night because he was planning on beating Evil and shaving his head. And so <laughs> I think you're right. I think there is a shaving coming. And I don't know who, what, or where. It is a curious match for the two. Uh, I I would not have seen uh, a, uh, a hair match on my bingo card between Shingo and Evo in 2023, but it seems like here we are. We'll get more into that a little bit later. Yeah. Kenta Yoshihashi was the first block match of the night. So slow and a little dull because of Kenta, not moving well. He's not working very well. He had one good match with Will Ospreay in this tournament, and then he had one of the very few not good. I'm not, I don't want to say bad. <laughs> not good matches with Okada. The, the Okada and, match where he did a medley of every stage of his career in the match with Okada. <laughs> and then Yoshihashi's been having a great tournament, and this is his only bad match was against Kenta. So uh, again, not working well. Uh, he ended up beating Yoshihashi 12-16, uh, but uh, a pretty forgettable tournament for Kenta, a guy who seems to be really in decline. I mean, if you go through a tournament and you aren't having good matches with Yoshihashi and Kazuchika Okada, that's, you're struggling, man. You are struggling. Warning signs. Warning signs indeed. It was not a great match. It didn't play into any of the long-term deal for the bracket, and I think we could probably move on. Great Okan and Taichi were up next, and Taichi had been in contention and still mathematically was in this at this point. Great Okan had uh, took most of the match. There was a lot of Taichi selling. There were a clever series of submissions, though, that ended up with them having a leg lock on one another and having to separate, uh, which was entertaining right there. Eventually, it was a triangle sleeper to win and eliminated Taichi, 17 minutes, 41 seconds. And that was a good match. It wasn't anything spectacular, but it did take Taichi out, and it made it so that the last two matches were simply for uh, placement there with uh, with uh, Phantasmo, Osprey, and Okada, taking Taichi out of the equation a little early there. So Taichi, fairly good tournament, I think, uh, for the most part, but uh, falling just short of being in the uh, quarters. Yeah, I was really happy with Taichi. I was happy with Great Okan in this tournament. Um, them evening out at six points each at the very end uh, kind of makes a lot of sense. You had that, you had the tier of like the middle of the pack. You had five people end with six points in the B bracket, whereas mm-hmm. you had two of them just run the table and and clear them by at least four points. So uh, this was the bracket that I think. We would all have been absolutely gobsmacked, jaws picked up off the floor if Will Ospreay and Kakuchiko Okada didn't make it past the yeah. initial round. Yeah. And speaking of whom, Kazuchi Okada faced Tangalo in the next one. Again, not too many people saw an upset coming right here. Uh, it was good. Uh, I don't think people believe that Tangalo was winning, though. And his, his knee, which has been totally reconstructed, uh, is not 100% back. It might never be, to be honest, to uh, what it had been before. But, I mean, a decent enough match right here. But it, it's hard to build the drama when you're really sure Okada's going to win the thing. Uh, but, and there it was. Uh, Okada got through. He needed to. There was the win. Yeah, he had to win in order to keep the tiebreaker over Will. But there was a point had Okada not lost to Will, I had predicted that Tangoel might actually beat Okada and set up a never open weight six man uh, match between the Tongans and these guys. Maybe it'll still happen, but that was not how this played out. The main event was possibly and probably, in my opinion, the match of the tournament. 
And really? uh, a, certainly a block play for me. I yes. thought this was the best match of block play. Uh, so it's not often that Osprey runs into someone as quick as he is, but uh, El Fantasmo is just about there. And he hit a gorgeous run of moonsaults both on into the floor and to the ring and in the ring and Cabradas. And it was all in very close proximity right there. El Fantasmo was really good. A lot of counters in this one. Will would try to get a move and Fantasmo would counter it. You could tell that Will was having a lot of fun working with Fantasmo because just the things that Fantasmo can do. Uh, Will hit an ass cutter on the apron that looked terrific. They teased the count out there, but Will ended up doing the springboard, uh, like the phenomenal forearm type thing, uh, and ran right into a super kick, which is, of course, one of Phantasmo's big moves. Uh, Thunder kiss, springboard splash, and a burning hammer from ELP. Uh, so I'm pulling out all the stops there. And uh, there was just a great sequence where Phantasmo hit an os cutter and a CR2 at the 17-minute mark. That was a very... Good near fall that got I got me out of my seat. I will admit. <laughs> yeah, I convinced a couple of people. Oh crap, we might be seeing a, an upset here. Uh, second os cutter for a two, and then uh, but uh, he jumped off the ropes again and into an os cutter uh, by Will. Will hit a second one for a two count, hidden blade for a two count. Uh, each of those showing the Phantasma wasn't going to give up easily, but he was just barely hanging on. And then Will ended up hitting what he calls a Storm Driver, which is his version of the Tiger Driver 93. We saw that with Kenny Omega and scared the living hell out of everybody. Uh, this one with El Phantasmo was a lot cleaner and less risky. Uh, the and uh, Maybe not it was, quite as tired after 18 minutes, so you were at 30 minutes. <laughs> certainly, yeah. Very different circumstances, of course. You're right. and uh, But it looked terrific, and uh, that got the win. And afterwards, during backstage comments, El Fantasmo, who's been talking all along about how much of a struggle this has been without any friends, was picked up and helped by the Gorillas of Destiny, uh, another group of guys who have had experience. And showed up. Showed up being, with them now, too. Being kicked out of Bullet Club. So there was a little bit of a, a copacetic thing right there, like, hey, we all have been through the same thing. So uh, El Fantasmo did not get the win, but may have found some friends. And so, uh, you know, good lessons for life learned by all there. And what it did was it brought us to exactly what we said was going to happen. I'm going to pat ourselves on the back. This is one that we had picked, although I grant you this was not the trickiest pick in the world. Yeah. Uh, B block there. Kazuchi Okada finishes in first with 12 points. Will Ospreay on 10. And he moves on to the quarterfinals along with uh, Okada. Fantasmo, Taichi, and Tangaloa, and Kenta, and Great Okan all end up at six. And Yoshihashi on four, which is interesting because Yoshihashi aside from Okada and Osprey, who moved on, may have had the best matches of all the people that didn't, but he finished with the least uh, with the least points in the group right there, but still a really good showing for him. Any other thoughts on the B block, which went I about do. according to plan? I got one last thought for you. Go ahead. Is it it's pretty clear that Will Osprey is the biggest baby face in New Japan right now, right? Mm, Who's the yeah. bigger baby face? I think Umino's working his way there. You think Amino's a bigger baby face than Will Ospreay right now? I think that the people there's still people that cheer against there's still some people that cheer against Will, but Will's getting up there. Fair enough. I think I think by the end of the G1, he might be the biggest baby face in New Japan. Like they are it, it's possible, but like there are there were attitudes in some of these matches that we'll get to that was like, hmm, good versus evil, huh? Okay. <laughs> 
I'll also say I think Naito might be a bigger baby face than Will. I think if if okay. Naito if Naito wrestles Will, I think the crowd is probably more for Naito than him. This is why I'm here to ask you these things. Yeah, that's that's just my initial thoughts on that. It's a good question. That's a really good question. Is who the top baby faces and heels are in the company versus how they're being portrayed mm-hmm. as to who's the top heels in the company. But we'll get to all of that. C Block Finals. Uh, we moved away from Osaka to Yokohama at the Budokan. Uh, the attendance there, 2,360. Here's my venue nerd information. This is a relatively new building. This has only been around a few years. So uh, they mentioned even during the commentary that the old building saw some of the best matches uh, in G1 history, including some great Ishii matches over the time. And he and I think Kenny uh, tore down there and some others. Uh, but uh, Yokohama Budokan, relatively new uh, arena and it's the largest crowd for wrestling at that building thus far 2360 nice. for this one so yeah again it, I, it this started to build up a little momentum we talked about how attendance was flat out weak during some of this but uh, this was a stronger run of shows it, it seemed like as we got toward the end it brought out the fans a little bit more being in metropolitan tokyo never hurts either and osaka you know we were in huge population centers for most of these shows we go to ishii and mikey nichols these two long out of the running for anything regarding the quarterfinals right here. It was a really, really good version of an Ishii match. Mikey Nichols continuing his streak of getting busted open in damn near every match he has. He did it again. Uh, He just, uh, he's getting to be like a man. He was on a mission and God damn it. He was going to see it through the way he was going to wrestle the G1. He keeps busting that open. You're going to just have to hit him with a rolled up newspaper and the guy's going to bleed. But as it is of now, he did uh, bleed a little bit more. This was a really good version of an Ishii match. Ishii, ma- Ishii doesn't need to score points to be great. Uh, he is uh, just having terrific matches almost every night doing his style of match. And this was another example of a good one. 13 minutes and one second. And this is basically just evening things up. Ishii went in with only two points. Nichols had four. Ishii joins him at four points with the victory. Uh, Ishii ending strong was always one of those things that if he's not going to be looking good at the beginning, he'll probably be looking good at the end. And uh, I don't know, maybe TMDK versus Ishii and Okada and Tanahashi. That might be that might be an interesting little uh, feud to go with because that seemed that seemed something that they were laying down. I don't know. Very it's important. It's important to remember that Mikey Nichols has in the past been a very successful singles wrestler he works with shane a lot but they have been apart for a while in the past and mikey still works as a singles wrestler he's not just a tag guy although he's an excellent tag wrestler so uh you know in matches like this and in the g1 i think he did real well and he's very capable of of, of doing so trios thing would be fabulous though I, there are a, cu- a couple of trios now well like we said gorillas mm-hmm. of destiny and phantasmo strong style is still around uh, you have the TMDK combinations and things. So that the things could be looking up for that belt as yep. well. And a USBA guy mentions that it's a wonderful building. I've seen a few shows there. Look at you, man. I, I would love to go uh, down there and see a show in that building. It looks pretty cool. It looks like it's a, a nice one. And there are a lot of, there are a lot of old buildings uh, that uh, New Japan goes to and a lot of those almost uh, airplane hangar-like convention halls. And this one has some personality to it. So good. Like I said, a little venue nerdage there. Uh Moving on to the next one, it's Tamatanga and Hanare. How about this is where things got interesting? Go ahead, explain why. Well, if we were at the C Block before, uh, before we were getting to, there was a huge log jam in which Tamatanga and Shingo Takagi both had seven, 
Mm-hmm. Eddie Kingston and Evil had, and David Finley all had eight. So all three of these matches had ramifications. And so Tamatonga winning became a scenario in which there were five people still at play when they we were at a situation where they should be cutting people out. That didn't happen. They were adding more to the to the finals. And uh, they announced something later on, and we'll get to that when we get to that match. But this was something I hadn't really seen in a long time, if at all, in a G1 was, uh, was a, a little wrinkle in the bracket play. Okay, there you go. So Tamatonga ended up getting the victory here. He defeated Tanare 14 minutes and 30 seconds. And uh, it just went on went on a rally, hit the DSD, and got the victory. He avoided the Streets of Rage, which was a key moment in the match. Uh, Hanari going for the Streets match. Hanari was really good in this one. And Tamatonga was as well. But Hanari really showed up for this one. We were worried about Hanari at the beginning of this tournament, not just because he got dropped on his head by uh, Mikey early, but because we were sweating a little of the hissing and growling and some of the more, I don't know, base kind of dated animalistic type of mannerisms he was doing in that first match when he took off the well he didn't take anything he came out and he what had the tattoos on his face which we did not see at the press conference because he was covered and i just thought oh boy i don't know about making him a whole new character thankfully they dropped all of that and he's just hanare again just bulkier he's gone for bulk instead of being cut like he had been before and, uh, but he's wrestling like Hanare, and Hanare's a really good wrestler. So uh, this was uh, good to see, a good match. Hanare not at a point in his career right now where he's going to contend for a G1, not to say he won't in the future, but uh, other things to do right now. And uh, Tamatanga uh, is remained in the mix. Yeah, it was a better match than I thought it was going to be. There was a frog splash that Tama did mm. that looked like he just coasted on air. He didn't really go up. He just went forward and then down. <laughs> and it was the weirdest optical illusion. But I can't say that it didn't look awesome. Hanare, mm-hmm. uh, he exceeded my expectations in this tournament. And I don't have nothing to do with the makeover or anything like that. He just came out with a level of physicality that helped elevate the entire C block. And I want to tip my cap to that. Up next, we had David Finlay and Eddie Kingston. Now, this one definitely had repercussions. This one was a big one in the standings here. And this ended up being a terrific match. And Kingston sold so much early, I began to wonder if he were going to win, if he was going to win. You know, I I picked Finlay to come out of this block because I thought that the new leader of Bullet Club would need a big push. And we got that. that, But... Kingston was just selling, 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 selling. And usually when you take that much of a beating early, it might be because you're going to come back and win the dang thing. So I'm not joking that it was almost 10 minutes when Kingston hit a half and half and a spinning back fist for a two count. And it was his first real offense mm-hmm. other than keep alive punches, you know, and types of things since the early chops in the match, it had been like seven or eight minutes of just almost pure selling from Eddie which, of course, he's great at. They uh, ended up trading some finishers. Eddie hit a Northern Lights bomb, but Finlay got his foot on the ropes, barely. Looked terrific. Finlay hit Oblivion, too, but he was too hurt to cover. And uh, Spear again for two and an Oblivion again for three. Uh, I'm not really doing it justice with that description, but play-by-play doesn't really come across anyway. The last few minutes of this was a really entertaining, terrific struggle, and Finlay clinches first place in the block with that win. Real talk, we shouldn't have to convince anyone to watch this match. 
No, this one was really, really good. Yeah. And uh, yeah. And people who love Kingston, people who want to see what Finley is all about. This is the perfect match. It shows the heart of Kingston, the deceptiveness of Finley, his brutality, all the things between the two. And it lays down groundwork that's been previously established and further groundwork going forward with Bullet Club and Kingston. This was all great. And I am here for the future. Moving on to the next thing we have, uh, the main event of Evil and Shingo Takagi. So, <laughs> this was all set up for Shingo to overcome House of Torture and move on into second place. I'm going to pause you uh, I'm going to pause you. Before okay. this match started, they made an announcement. Yeah. And so this is what I was getting at. Because of David Finley winning and... Uh, the evil match with Shingo. If evil did not win and Shingo won, they were going to go to an immediate playoff after the match where Shingo and Tamatonga with no time limit because they had a draw two weeks ago. Uh, they were going to figure it out, but it was all for naught. Yeah. There was a lot of the usual house of torture stuff here, although it was an entertaining version of it. There were a lot of run-ins and a lot of ref bumps. If you don't like that, this match isn't going to be for you. And I was starting to really roll my eyes at it, but it, it picked up a little bit. So the crowd was really hot for it. I you gotta it admit that the crowd really elevated this match. So Dick Togo, show and Yujiro all in. All of them were involved in this one. Those the, after the ref bump, they all attacked. Uh, Shingo managed to avoid the magic killer uh, by reversing things, and he ended up using Dick Togo to give a magic killer to evil, which was an entertaining spot. Uh, Made in Japan got a near fall. Then he hit last of the dragon, but Red Shoes was pulled out. So they played this like Shingo didn't see the referee being pulled out. So Dick Togo counts three. Yujiro rings the bell. Shingo gets up thinking, hey, I won. And then he's confused, but then he realizes what's gone wrong. Uh, and then eventually he, he's getting beaten down. Suji and Bushi uh, came out to help. Uh, Sho ended up hitting the shock arrow on Shingo. Uh, but just as that was about to happen, Hiromu pulled red shoes out. <laughs> Hiromu, who wasn't even Dressed on the in card. his best Young Bucks outfit, by the way. Oh, goodness. <laughs> uh, the Young Bucks wish they looked that cool in it. Uh, pulled out and, and even ran off show. So, you know, we just thought, okay. House of Torture's been run off now. Uh, LIJ is there. Shingo hit a pumping bomber, but no ref. Then Evil got a low blow, and everything is evil, and he won the damn thing. And uh, that was a bit of a bummer. They even tried to shave Shingo's head after the match, but LIJ did manage to get in and save and pull him away, make the save and pull him away. Evil, uh, surprising me, big surprise to me, um, finishing second in this bracket over Shingo, who I thought was going to be in second place right there. So this sets up Sonata versus Evil. And we thought Sonata versus Shingo. But if we're being honest, Sonata versus Evil has way more legacy and way more backstory to it in a G1 match. And I, uh, and I think that is pretty interesting that they decided to go with that matchup and call back to that from a few years ago rather than uh, move forward with Shingo, who is a former IWGP champion. Well, well, that's leading. That's leading to something also to the evil thing. So, uh, and Colin mentions uh, we 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 praised it a little bit. Said it was a good version of this. Colin's not impressed. Nope, sorry. House of Torture suck. Well, we're not going to argue with that point either. So, the Bullet Club bracket moved forward. It did. Yeah, both members from Bullet Club move on. Ten points. The tiebreaker goes to Finlay because he beat Evil in that kind of nothing match they had. And then Tomatonga finishes with nine. Eddie Kingston on eight. 
Uh, but everything was gravy for Eddie. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Shingo Takagi with seven. Mikey Nichols, Hanare, Shingo. Four. So, yeah. And C Block notes here uh, Ishii uh, broke a bit of a barrier. He is now at over 24 hours in G1 matches for his lifetime. So there are uh, a short list of people that have had over 24 hours of G1 ring time. Uh, in singles matches during the tournament specifically. Tanahashi, Okada, Yuji Nagata, Naito, uh, Tenzan, and uh, Hiroki Goto are the others whose total G1 ring time over 24 hours. Uh, Damn! So that's, a, that's a lot. That's a lot of pain. There's a lot of pain. And uh, USVA guy uh, says, House of Torture shenanigans will continue as long as the fans stay hot for them. The live crowd reactions are amazing. You ain't wrong. <sighs> Yeah, it's not what New Japan does well, but uh, yeah. <laughs> as much as we yeah. hate to admit it, that's, yeah. uh, no lives protected. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about Eddie Kingston here, because there's sure. another video that's up on NJPW World that took place during the G1 that's worth mentioning. Eddie, of course, is a I, I relate to Eddie a lot. He's younger than I am, but we were both tape traders. Both of us fell in love with King's Road, All Japan. That was our favorite promotion. Same thing. The four pillars, Misawa, Kawada, Tawe, Kobashi, all that stuff. Steve Williams, Stan Hansen. It's fantastic. It's brilliant. And he was a monster fan of all that stuff and all the Japanese wrestling. He was a wrestling nerd like the rest of us. That is just that he made it in the business and here he is living his dream being in the G1. But there was one thing that they decided to surprise Eddie with and there's a little 15-minute uh, njpw world video there and you can find it and eddie was riding in a car with a translator and somebody i don't know what they told him they were going to do but they surprised him uh, it was not what he thought whatever that was but it was an appearance or something like that they pull up to a place and he's talking about the wrestling he likes and he notices a drawing a little art drawing on a sign of kawada his favorite guy if you notice, Eddie's singlets are usually, not always, but usually that very dark blue, almost black, and uh, yellow piping. On them. That's all for Kawada. That was his color scheme. The All Japan guys had very careful color schemes. The guy, they, they stayed with them for years and years and years, uh, wearing basically the same gear. It was their trademark thing. The silver and green for Misawa, you know, the, the bright orange for Kobashi. And he noticed this. He says, oh, Kawada-san. And then he realizes what is happening. Kawada is now retired and he runs a ramen shop. And he cooks and all that. He runs a ramen shop now in uh, Tokyo. And he realized that they had brought him to Kawada's ramen shop. And he so was great. going to meet Toshiaki Kawada. And if you want to see him just fanboy, like he couldn't believe it. He just kept saying no, no. And he just got very Smiles visibly nervous. and tears in his eyes. He was so excited. This and, is me uh, meeting Jack Kirby if he were still alive. Yeah, that's very well put. Yeah, it kind of is. It, well, not kind of. It is. Yeah, that's a great like, analogy. Yeah, there, it's are, exactly. there are heroes from 2030 that set your legacy together. And mm. this dude, like, I can only imagine what it must have felt like, the feeling all over his body as he just came Eddie Kingston pro shouldn't be alive today. Let's just, okay, like, let's just <laughs> say so this right now. Eddie Kingston has lived a life in which, by all intents and purposes, wrestling saved him, and he shouldn't be alive. And so the fact that he is, 
and he got to see the guy who in some way, shape, or form may have saved his life and given him like a future, you can't put a number on that. And so that's what we're trying to tell you of just how special this this came off on camera. It was tremendous. He got to meet Kawada, ask him a few questions. My only criticism of this clip is it's made for Japanese audiences. Therefore, you hear Eddie ask the question. You don't hear the translator translated into Japanese. They cut that out. Unfortunately, then you get Kawada's answer in Japanese, but you don't get the <laughs> interpreter telling Eddie what he said in English. So they cut out all the translation. So again, for a Japanese audience, so they subtitle Eddie and then you just hear Kawada answer in Japanese. And I would kill to know the answer to those questions. Maybe Eddie asked Kawada because I would have asked some of the same ones. And he even mentioned Eddie and I have the same favorite match of all time. That's how much I relate to this guy. That's There's awesome. a match from June of 1994 between Masawa and Kawada, a 35-minute match. Uh, they had a lot. Every match they had, singles match was a classic. Uh, Masawa bled a little bit out of his ear. His ear got nicked. Uh, nothing like in, internal, like the outside of his ear. Anyway, he, he had a little blood coming out of his ear. That's the one. And uh, it's one of the greatest wrestling matches of all time. It's my favorite of all time. Eddie had the same one. I, so seeing lived. him live that is like, I, and I want to go to this ramen shop next time I'm in Japan so bad. Killer Khan has a place, and Toshiaki Kawada has a place. <laughs> and I want to eat a both of them, and I want to go back to Ribera. <laughs> so I'm, I'm marking out for this whole thing. There's a possibility that it ended up on YouTube with translations. If it, if it, if on New Japan World it doesn't have translations, I'm not promising anything on that, but it's a possibility. Man, this is great. Made me feel happy. Gave me the warm fuzzies, and uh, you know Eddie's coming back to Japan. <laughs> oh God, are you kidding me? And they should have him back because this stuff was really good. He meshed well with these guys, so hopefully it works out. And then we move on to the D Block Finals in uh, in Hamamatsu. So this is on Wednesday, and uh, 2001 fans there. This is the most since 2019, and it's also the uh, first show there post-pandemic uh, since they removed all the restrictions. So uh, hard to compare it to anything else as far as what the attendance was like. Uh, so it's the first post-pandemic show there uh, without restrictions. Uh, but 2001 uh, for Hamamatsu, not, not bad. And, uh, and guess what just... they got for their first G1 match? <laughs> <laughs> You know, they got Toro Yano and Alex Coughlin. And uh, yeah, this one had Gabe Kidd involved. The only thing I liked about this one, I didn't like much that Yano did in this tournament. It, he gave everybody a night off, which I suppose everybody needed. But we got a little bit of the angry, violent Yano in this one. Like the Yano that got attacked by Kidd in the aisle, got pretty pissed off and was slamming chairs on these guys. He drugged Kidd away with the chair around his neck. There wasn't a whole lot of actual comedy in this one like he even went after Coglin with scissors we got the uh, angry violent yano here uh, for a little bit uh, Coglin ended up getting a belt shot when marty asami took the scissors away then hit the jackhammer for three uh, it was a better version of uh, yano's match five minutes seven seconds a lot of it took place outside the ring it went five uh, minutes 507 felt longer than that yeah it's this version of Yano, man, and it just kills me because I've said it before on the show. I remember the most violent players. Are we going to get murder Yano at some point? We almost got it. I mean, he was he was pissed in that match, yeah, and he played it pissed. It, I feel like it might be something coming down the pike. It'd be nice to see. You know, he could put over Coglin in some sort of, uh, you know, violent Yano again match. Mm -hmm. He can put over Coglin as being the this vicious guy that can 
get into a no DQ match and, and do something heinous to him. And Yano would be a decent guy to do that with. Cause you can say that Yano is going to call back to, you know, when he had the bleached hair and all that, mm-hmm. and he was, he and, he and Makabe were killing people on a regular basis. But anyway, that was that. I and know. of course, <laughs> both of those guys are, are long eliminated. You know, the thing is though, Yano might be the smartest guy in the whole company because he can do this act until he's 60 and never get hurt. Doesn't so. need to be paid. The top guy still got a job. Still got a job. And he has his own side businesses, too. He's a really interesting guy. If you follow Toro Yano, he's an interesting person. But, uh, you know. I may have you dive deep dive on that when we have a little bit extra time next Thursday. Because we might have a mm-hmm. gap in time. And I might be curious to learn a little bit more about that Yano stuff. Because he is yeah. a curious guy. And there, there are things about him that I definitely have my eyebrow raised. Yeah, and Colin mentions the same thing. It's a gimme fighting Yano. I'm sick of comedy Yano. I understand why he's doing it. Like, I will never argue with the sheep herders, this badass tag team becoming the bushwhackers because God knows being a bushwhacker was a hell of a lot easier than doing mid South barbed wire matches. So I, that, I mean, uh, I, I get, you might get I sick get. from the exchange of bodily fluids, but <laughs> that's a fair point. Anyway, we'll move on from this one because both those guys were out of contention anyway. And it was a match. Uh, we had Jeff Cobb and Shane Hayes. Now, this one did have an effect on the standings, and you suspected yeah, did. it, didn't you? I, I saw, saw it coming, coming a mile yep. away. <laughs> Me too. I did too. It was just sitting there, and and you know they've done this with Cobb before, where Cobb goes out of the gate strong, wins a bunch of his early matches, and then fades toward the end. Well, they had a different way for him to fade here, and uh, there wasn't a whole lot to this match. wasn't bad. Uh, Haste actually got an apron bomb on Cobb. How strong is this guy? They're, those quads, man. Those Shane Haste quads are not to be trifled with. And uh, anyway, they ended up fighting on into the aisle, back up toward the entrance ramp. Cobb hit a backdrop on Haste and made his way back to the ring. But Haste chased him down and then hung on with a waist lock, tied him up, grabbed a hold of his leg, did everything he could, and forced a double countout. The reason being, he needed to lose points in order for Zack Sabre to really have a shot at winning the thing because Cobb held the tiebreaker over Zack. And so what we had was haste sacrificing himself for the good of TMDK and keeping Zach in the playoff picture. And it made logical sense. I think the crowd kind of rolled their eyes at the finish a little bit, but it was a decent way to keep Cobb out without really hurting Cobb. I think this match won me a post wrestling prediction contest, Stephen Conway. And this is the one you had, right? I said the one I had right. There well, were not the one you had right. You had a ton of them right. So whoa, I had first, whoa, whoa, but you yeah. had this so, one when no one else did. So there were, let's see here, a hundred and uh, hundred ninety uh, entries into this thing. Wow. Of the correct answers, one hundred and sixty-five people got Naito versus Tanahashi correct. One hundred and sixty people got Goto versus Zack Saber Jr. correct. One hundred and twenty-two people got Alex Coughlin versus Toriano correct. And one person, one person wow. named Jeremy Feinstone picked a draw on the final night, and I won me a post-wrestling prediction contest based off the answers that you and I came up with. That's tremendous. Hell yeah. <laughs> wow. That is really tremendous. You know, that's, you know, that's a really tricky one. We're good at what we do, Stephen Conway. This is going to win for me. This is a win for us. <laughs> Well, I'm happy to say that the block uh, it finished up exactly like we thought it was going to. So uh, we'll no, move on. No, not to that. necessarily because I thought Zack Saber Jr. was going to win the bracket, and then he lost. Oh, I had tiebreaker. Oh no, I had Naito and Zach in this uh, one. Well, I know. Yeah, the order, the order in which they advanced. 
I had wrong. I thought Zach Sabre Jr. because he had the title, he would go first in the bracket, but I was incorrect. Ah, okay. I did have that one correct, but we had Zach and Hiroki Goto in a really good match. This is a really good Zack Sabre Jr. match. We mentioned that there are Ishii matches and there are Zack matches where it's a lot of interesting submissions and then the opponent fighting out of those submissions and landing big moves on Zack. But Zack, just as it looks like he's about to be overwhelmed, clamping on another one of those submissions. You know, So that's kind of an act that Zack can do with a lot of the guys in New Japan. And this is a good example of one here. Goto uh, did a good job uh, working all in and out of these submissions and hitting his high-impact offense on him. Had a really good build. I just wrote that this was scintillating. I can't go through all of the submissions, the ins and outs, but go out of your way to see this one. 14 minutes and 30 seconds, really good match. He ended up getting a submission out of a form of a Cobra twist and uh, moving on. So Sabre... Uh, clinches a spot there with that win. 14 minutes, 30 seconds of a really good match with Goto. Best way I could put it is that Sabre had excellent cardio because he was just <laughs> climbing around Goto half this match and just going fast speed. Goto's hurting. Like, Hiroki mm-hmm. Goto's hurting legitimately with those ribs of his. So him gutting it through this G1 is pretty impressive. And I think he's more on the mend, even though he was getting more beat up because it was just kind of time was going to heal that wound more than anything else. But uh, Zach is great. Hiroki Goto is great. This match made me happy, and the result made me happy, and the way they got to the result made me happy. I was happy. And that's what's important, isn't it? Yeah. So we move on to the main event there. Tetsuya Naito and Hiroshi Tanahashi. Some interesting oh, so notes. evergreen. <laughs> it never gets old, and these two are so good. They are actually going into this match. Eight wins, eight losses, and a draw against each other. Eight, eight, and one against each other in singles going into this. So this was Tanahashi trying to play spoiler. Tana worked real hard. His knees are starting to bother him a little bit more than they did at the beginning of the tournament. But he still managed to hit an aces high from the top turnbuckle all the way to the floor. Makes me nervous when he does that, but it was perfect. Last Uh, out of the G1 for him. He was all out. Yeah, he hit another one later and went for the high fly flow. Of course, Ace's high is when the same move as the high fly flow, really, except uh, the guy standing. I guess it's more of a cross body block, and then uh, and then a high fly flow. Of course, the frog splash. He went over, the, went for that, and then Naito got his knees up, and that led later to an Esperanza at uh, 15 minute mark. Then Naito hit a vicious satellite DDT for the win. It looked amazing. Was that a botch? No, I don't think it was. Like it, him on his head on the on the floor. Like, well, I wasn't sure. He hit right on the top of his head there on the mat, but I think Tana handled it well. Like I'm, I was, I went back and checked it again in a replay, and I, I don't think that was a botch. I, you know, he he actually vicious. used. Remember, he used that satellite DDT to pin Zach, right? Zach, no, Zach, that's right. Yeah, he pins Zach off the satellite DDT. So he's starting to work that in a little bit. Almost like Okada now has that thing where he sits down on the roll-up. Or and the just kind of hooks the, hook the guy's leg. Yeah, the leap of faith. So I think he's starting to use that a little bit. Now, with Zach, he hit the DDT and then kind of hooked it almost into an inside cradle. Mm-hmm. This, he just kind of nailed this DDT and Tana stayed down. But either way, uh, looked tremendous. And, and I like most, it. I like the most importantly, Tanahashi was fine. 17 minutes and 54 seconds. So they planted the seeds a little bit that this might go to a draw, which would hurt Naito. Uh, but uh, because Cobb had nine points. So if Naito didn't get both points, Cobb would have moved on 
because a hell he, of a twist. <laughs> he beat yeah so Cobb wasn't actually eliminated quite yet uh at that stage to be fair but uh he ended up getting the victory naito moves on and wins the block in a terrific match and again uh you know colin agrees he said that this was great i thought it was too and we've said enough about tanahashi and his health issues and what his body is left with what you still have is a very very intelligent wrestler both of these guys are uh, it showed up again in Naito's quarterfinal match, uh, the timing and just the mastery of the art that these two have. This was an excellent match between uh, two guys who maybe physically aren't what they were five years ago, but mentally are at the top of the game. Yeah, you said it. You said it great. They're, uh, they delivered as the last night of bracket play for G1, put a bow on it, and uh, set us on course for the uh, the playoffs. And it was a hell of a match to end the G1, I think. I think there is a lot of validity to the people who complain that this wasn't quite as G1-ish this year as in a few years past, but I still think it's a rebuild year. They The math has to be interesting to get all the brackets going. So, yeah. like, you either have two brackets of 10 or four brackets of eight, but if you start cutting it down to, like, four brackets of six, four brackets of five, like, it, it kind of diminishes the whole G1, so... There's only so many directions they can take it with how they set up these brackets and the rostering and how many people. And, you know, there were a lot of new people coming in and they had to bring in people to fill out the ranks as well as all the classic old stars. So I think a few of these people might not be in the G1 next year. Uh, maybe a couple of switch outs, but, you know, we didn't have a... We didn't have any of the House of Torture guys, Yujiro in it this year other than Evil. So they were already doing the switchovers for the size of the G1, the quality of the contestants. And uh, I think this year was just kind of a an in-between year between high quality and newness and just feeling out new talents in this thing that are going to have better years going forward. Now, before we move on, we have the graphic up here for the D-Block standings. We'll go over them real quick. Uh, we have Naito, as we mentioned, and Sabre finishing on 10 points. Naito, because he did manage to get the win over Zach goes uh, as the number one seed, Zach, second. Cobb, one point back, nine, just misses out again. Coglin, Tanahashi, and Goto with six points each. Shane Haste with five, and Toru Yano on four. Now, the only other thing, Jeremy, if you look at this graphic, the former layout guy in me when I worked for a newspaper, that dot with Goto and Coughlin is off-center, and it's driving me insane. Get that off the screen quickly. For the love of God, look at that. It's off center. What are they doing over there? It's the only dot that didn't lined up right. The Goto Coughlin one. What I have to get this out of your vision, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> you ever see like the what? Like there's one thing. There are things that bother me. I didn't see that, and I yep. I honestly like hmm, I don't know. Everything is in a perfect grid except that one thing. That's gonna drive me. Oh my god. Oh man. You missed the spot. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's me. I'm the epic. And I my girlfriend is in advertising and does design for logos and things like that. And that would absolutely give her an eye twitch too. So that was the other thing. Okay. Uh, so here's what we're gonna have to do. We're gonna have to figure out whether we have enough or if that's not enough people for two blocks of ten next year. Like we'll mm. put we'll create our own G1 bracket next for next week. And we'll see if they can actually do 20 or if there's just too many people missing from from quality in order to do because the middle of the pack is the middle of the pack but somewhere between 20 and 32 is the perfect number i don't know what it is and i don't know if there is a mathematical way to bracket it out in order to get there maybe 28 i don't know 
Colin is saying he wants two blocks of 10 again with 30 minute matches. Right. So Colin wants to go back to the old format. It's what we he's should, we for. should create G one brackets with 20 people and see if it's actually possible or if there's too many people left off. Good grief, man. Oh, <laughs> sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> so let's go on to the quarterfinals. So they were today, actually uh, earlier today. And, I didn't uh, realize this. I woke up <laughs> and, and found out the results. Cause I was like, wait, Oh, <laughs> it's not Friday. It's Thursday. I blew the call on that one. We're in Funabashi. So again, we're staying in uh, the general Tokyo-ish area. Funabashi is a town between Tokyo and Chiba. So it's all out in the same bay right there. And uh, it's along those uh, key train lines there between Tokyo and Chiba. So a little bit of uh, nerdness here as far as the location. The arena uh, held uh, 2,790. That was the attendance. They don't run this building very often. But it is the biggest crowd there since, you ready for this one, Jeremy? 1994. Largest crowd in that building. Now, they don't run the building much. And, and no one really does. But all Japan drew 3,100 in that same building in 1994 with the four pillars involved in a six-man main event. Junakiyama was on the card. So was Stan Hansen and Steve Williams. Johnny Ace, John Laurinaitis was on that show. And the Heavenly Bodies. Tag team. We're over in Japan doing a tour for all Japan back in 1994. Wild. The largest crowd in this building, I'm just going to go into this real quick because I thought this was interesting. 4,500 drawn by all Japan again in 1985. That main event was Shohei Baba, the owner, operator, and everything else, and Jumbo Saruda in a tag team match over Bruiser Brody and Klaus Wallace. That was the main event. And also, Animal Hamaguchi and Killer Khan lost to the Road Warriors. Hawking Animal on that show in 1985. And uh, we also had uh, the the biggest feud in all Japan at the time was uh, Jinichiro Tenru against Riki Choshu. And that was on the card there in a tag. They were on opposite sides of a tag team match. And uh, one last little note about Funabashi. The first show uh, was New Japan's first show there, January 4th. Uh, 1974. So before that began the big tradition of January 4th matches, the Maguire twins, who were a pair of twins who I believe were 500 pounds each, where they were kind of a, an attraction, a Haystacks Calhoun kind of uh, attraction. Inoki was on the show, Fujinami Sakaguchi, but the, the Maguire twins stood out to me. If you ever Google the Maguire twins, you'll just see like, holy mackerel, these guys are just monstrous, just, you know, like two haystacks Calhoun sized people. So anyway, that was it. That was uh, January 4th, 1974, New Japan's first show in the building. So, uh, yeah, today it was the host of the quarterfinals. So there were the usual uh, preview tags I mentioned right there, but nothing uh, particularly of note. The, uh, Big match, though, Tetsuya Naito and Hikaleo led things off. And I mentioned Naito's mastery of the art here. This is one where he really used his timing well because everything in this match happened exactly when it needed to, and it got the most impact out of each thing. And I got to believe that that's Naito from his experience guiding Hikaleo, who's very capable through a match like this, because this got really good and really exciting. Of course, Naito is over as hell with the New Japan fans, so they're into everything he does. This went 13 minutes and 11 seconds. It was absolutely terrific. Uh, once again, that last ride powerbomb that Naito took, that brought the crowd up. Uh, Naito ran into a power slam, but the choke slam finish uh, that he does, and the Higaleo does, was countered into a DDT. That looked good. 
The Naito fans got scared stiff, though, when the Destino was countered into a choke slam in a really cool spot that absolutely fooled everybody into thinking, oh, my God, he might win this. But he did not. He went for it again, though, and the choke slam was countered into the Destino for three. Just fabulous stuff. Really good last five minutes of this thing, and the, the first eight were pretty damn good, too. Uh, really enjoyed this match. They needed something to create an obstacle for Tetsuya Naito to go through. And I guess Kiyomiya probably wasn't quite the obstacle or the the roadblock for Naito to move forward because he may very well be in the finals of this thing. And uh, Hikuleo continued a streak of really good matches. Uh, I thought he delivered well in this match as well. And he came off as the threat that he needed to be against Naito. You absolutely called it. Uh, with that near fall. And then when Naito managed to get him with the Destino, the crowd just, they loved the match by that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a really good version of it. And Hikaleo was playing with house money because his push came with making the quarterfinals. He didn't need to win this match. No. And Naito can move on to the semifinals, sell tickets. You know, he's always a big draw for New Japan, always a fan favorite. This is exactly how it should have gone. Hikaleo, his career has advanced already because of finishing second in that block and moving on to this point. So everything uh, went exactly how it was supposed so to. So Hikaleo is officially the resident big man in New Japan. Oh, yeah, yeah. And and, and is is holding up his end of that bargain. He's, yeah. he's doing well. The next match, <laughs> Will Ospreay and David Finlay. So uh, it's worth going out of your way to see pretty much all of the quarterfinal matches. This was really exciting. And... There were a lot of twists and turns in this one that I don't have time to go all the way through. Finlay this was a had, faction warfare match. Finlay had the War Dogs out. Will countered with Great O'Conn and Jeff Cobb. They had a cool spot earlier where Finlay was about to powerbomb Will through a table, and Jeff Cobb simply picked up the table and walked away with it. <laughs> Nothing to powerbomb him through. Uh, he ended up getting uh, spit on by Finlay. He shoves Finlay, gets thrown out. All that gives the War Dogs a bit of a chance to pounce. But Cobb would end up coming back down to help. And uh, it, it turned into just a fantastic match between these two here. Uh, there was a you know, leap of faith, but uh, he pulled Marty Asami. Finlay pulled Marty Asami on top of him, which, Phil didn't, which uh, Will didn't see. So he squished poor Marty. And then, of course, that led to the usual Bullet Club chaos and people running in there. Uh, Finlay ended up going for Oblivion. Uh, that was rev- the finishing sequence. Went for Oblivion. It was reversed into a slumdog millionaire from Will, uh, Orange Cassidy's big move. He tried a hidden blade, but Finlay turned that into a backslide. He then tried Oblivion, but Will flipped out of that. And by, the la- by flipping out of it, he landed behind Finlay, which allowed him to smoke Finlay from behind with a hidden blade. Then he got the Stormbreaker for three. This was great. It was great. Fantastic. There is an argument to be made that this was a very WWE match. And with all the interference, because the interference was a plenty in there. House uh, Bullet Club and United Empire. Uh, Cobb was banished from ringside. Mm-hmm. But then Ocon was still around. And then there was the Marty Asami ref bump in which Cobb came back out and attacked the War Dogs again. Mm-hmm. And so they were all dispatched. There was a great 
leapfrog a hicht, uh, springboard over the top rope that Great Ocon did. He landed yeah. on a feet, but it was definitely one of those, like, did I just see what I saw right there? Yeah. Uh, cool. Very much a WWE main event style match. If you saw Tribal Combat with uh, at SummerSlam with Roman and, and Jey Uso, there are a lot of similarities with people coming out that shouldn't be coming out, getting involved in the match, different referees, all that thing. With that being said, they don't ever really do it at this level in New Japan. So when they do, it comes off as not WWE, if that makes any sense. Because WWE leans on those same tropes so much that when another company like leans on it as well, it's not as bad because they they have not spent the, they have not spent money doing that angle over and over and over again. So it worked out really well. It was an awesome angle. It was an awesome match. I loved it. Steven, what do you got? Yeah, I loved it too. And Colin mentions that I legit was convinced Finlay was winning at one point. And they did do a good job of making you wonder. I think, you know, Will was favored going into it, but you couldn't really feel totally safe with it uh, as uh, all this uh, Bullet Club shenanigans were going on. But Finlay held up his end of it, by the way. It wasn't just the Bullet Club interference. Finlay was excellent in this match. And it was great. Will's, uh, as Chris Charlton said, Will's the best goddamn wrestler in the world. So, it, uh, you know, he might be. He might be. No, he is. You think I so? Think, I mean, I think, I, think I think it's either him or Okada. But, yeah, it's... it's so, uh, I'm going to ask you that question again. Is mm-hmm. Will Ospreay the biggest baby face in New Japan? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can. I mean, you can't you can, you can make, make the argument. Case. I, I'm still I'm still leaning toward Naito though. That's, I am I am 100 a believer that Will Osprey is winning this G1 until there is a three count with his shoulders on the mat. Well, we're going to get to that preview there because you could make a case for three of the four semifinalists winning mm-hmm. this thing and a strong case for it. So uh, well done by Ghetto as usual. The next one was Sonata, our IWGP World Heavyweight Champion, against Evil. And, of course, these two were a uh, tag team for a long time and a very successful one in New Japan. So it had all that subtext of both guys that uh, left LIJ. That was another thing. Uh, yeah, and this one, huh, you know, it was pretty good. It was an okay match that was heading toward being a good match when they exchanged low blows and then there was a ref bump and then the House of Torture stuff started. And this was on the way. To being a good match, it was I on thought the, way, the finish was kind of, but fun. it didn't get there. It didn't get there, and uh, yeah, they they were you know there was uh, the big moves, shining wizards and magic killers and all this stuff, and uh, in the end though, they managed Sonata managed to fight off Togo. He was out of the ring and out of it. He got some moves in. Togo didn't. He certainly uh, choked him with the Garrett and do all the house. Of- torture bullshit but he ended up getting run off knocked out taken out and then it was just down to the two of them and then after it was down to the two of them for a while not 10 minutes or anything like that but for a while suddenly evil just reversed the deadfall into everything is evil and one not clean but clean ish it wasn't it, uh, it wasn't a filthy house of torture finish it was it had a little bit of of finality to it in that sense didn't it it, it was final but it was flat i don't know yeah. there was something about it, it just the whole thing like you saw sonata and evil getting into this match and you're like ooh, there's legacy there's lore here and what we got was at best two guys that are incredibly familiar with each other and the story of the match was reflective of that but it didn't really seem like much more of that so Sonata got his 
perfect run through the bracket. And just like Hikaleo, like his, whatever master will serve for Sonata has been served. So he does not need to win the G1. He could yeah. have won this match, but I think narratively setting up a title between title match between Evil and Sonata uh, at Destruction Kobe might be the play. And then mm. we're going to go further down the line towards, towards the Wrestle Kingdom. Well, that's always the key for the IWGP champion in the G1. You have to set up more than one challenger because mm-hmm. the title's not going to go on ice all the way until January 4th. So you need something for the fall, and you also need something for the Wrestle Kingdom show. So mm-hmm. you have the winner of the G1, then you have someone else beating the champion who can challenge in the meantime. This that's not Chase Owens. <laughs> not Chase Owens. But, you know, the, you know, with this thing, I did think it was a little bit interesting that it wasn't just a low blow or a weapon shot and then straight to the finish. They did give Evil a little bit of, uh, it gave him a little bit of a push in that he sort of be out-wrestled Sonata at the end. And Colin has an interesting question here that is worth visiting. Do you think Evil won today because Sonata was injured or is it just because Ghetto has a thing for House of Torture? I actually think it's kind of, a little bit of neither here. And what, yeah. here's what I mean by that. I don't think it was because Sonata's injured. I think this is exactly when he was supposed to go out. They Because they need two challengers, the winner and whoever knocks out the champion. Those two different guys. With Evil, there is that subtext to it that they used to be tag team partners. They used to be in LIJ together. And probably most importantly, it's a guy Sonata can beat on the way to the Tokyo Dome. When Sonata first won the title... I did not think he was going to get all the way to the dome with it. And I, I, I'm pretty sure I'm wrong about that, that he is indeed going to headline Wrestle Kingdom with Sonata. <laughs> all right. Well, good luck, guys. But the point <laughs> being, I, I really think I really think they're going to do it. and Or at least it'll be in a co-main event. I have a feeling there's going to be something else special on that show. Oh, probably, you think? Probably, yeah. <laughs> maybe two or three. This might be third from the top in people's hearts. But point being, I think they wanted someone he could beat and something that has a story to it, and they don't want to do Naito yet, for whatever reason. Yeah. Unless, and we'll get to that in a little while. They might, they might, it might be, it might be Naito. So, I thought it was yeah, I, I think way easier than that, and they needed a heel in the final four. Yeah, they don't yeah, have any other true. heels. You got Okada, Naito, Osprey, and Evil. Like three guys you want to cheer for, and one guy you don't want to see win. Great yeah. dynamic. Yeah, and, and you know, and again, Evil. Well, we're going to get to the preview, but Evil doesn't have to win the G1 anymore. He has his title shot. Mm-hmm. So that's why I'm saying that there's uh, three people that have a real chance of winning. Here's two. Here's uh, here's one of them. Uh, Kazushi Okada and Zack Sabre Jr. You know, again, just a really wonderful match. This thing went uh, 21-46, so they uh, went over what would have been the time limit, which is a nice little uh, Easter egg there. Uh, Zack just spent a lot of time getting... Uh, KO in and out of uh, knots really is what he did was he tied he tied uh, Okada up in a lot of different holds and things it was a Zach match right there and a really good one and uh, 20 minute mark Rainmaker was turned into a flying magic which you don't see very often uh, Zach doesn't do that one too often a version of the uh, Cobra twist uh, Okada ended up uh, turning it into a flosion so you know, again that was a pretty nice little sequence there and uh, good strength from uh, Okada also helps how lanky Zach is. You can kind of do stuff like that with him. And uh, anyway, ended up being a Rainmaker finish for three. Because it was a lot of time of working in and out of submissions, I didn't describe it for very long. I just recommend you go back and watch this because this match was excellent. 
but you really did have a feeling that Okada was winning this thing and moving on into mm-hmm. that final four. So again, it it felt like you were just kind of waiting for that Rainmaker finish to happen, and it did. It was a really good match, though. Uh, they Kevin Kelly and Chris Charlton did a lot of work to set up that Okada that Zack Sabre Jr. was not familiar with the way that Okada was wrestling this match, that the style that Okada was wrestling, it was kind of giving Zack fits, and it was part of the struggle as to why Zack was not quite wrestling the way that he's comfortable wrestling with uh, Okada, which made for new dynamics in this match, and I thought that they played it well. Uh, I really liked this match. I thought it was the right winner. Jeremy Frozen? Nope. Or am I frozen? Oh, Oh, are you okay? Well, you there? I keep talking. I'm, you, all okay. of a sudden, you cut my frozen. I didn't know I was frozen. Anyways, uh, it was a great match. Uh, I really liked it. The right man won. And uh, I don't know what else there is to say. You said it all. Well, Colin has something. He says, I'm annoyed that Ghetto still seems to be on the Okada train. Give me something different, dude. Uh, I wouldn't hold a breath on that. He's still one of the three best wrestlers on earth. And I think that they still are going to depend on him. He is a draw. And uh, I think they're going to depend on him when they need a big uh, match in a big situation. I think they're still going to stick with uh, Okada for a while. And so I would not, I would not think that uh, he's going to be anywhere, but at or near the top in new Japan for, for a good while here. So going into the semifinals, Jeremy, they are Saturday, the 12th in sumo hall, Ryugoku Kakuji Khan. And uh, then the finals the next day, the 13th, we only know the semifinal matches. They have not announced any of the undercard as of uh, when we went on the air. It's supposed to be a little bit later. So on the, uh, the semifinals, Osprey will face Naito. And then we will see Okada facing Evil. So we mentioned that Evil doesn't need to win this thing. He's already got his title shot. So I fully expect Okada to go on to the finals. Osprey and Naito is a really interesting one. You know what? If you goddamn pick them. I picked Osprey to win this tournament. I picked Osprey too. Sticking with it. I also said when we were doing this that the only person that might upend this is that might make me nervous is Naito. <laughs> yes. Yeah. The only guy that makes me nervous. So I am nervous about it. I'm nervous yeah. about my pick. But I did have a final of Okada Osprey which might still happen. I think it will. I don't yeah. know. Like, Naito yeah. hasn't been wrestling at the lights out level in this tournament that Osprey has, but I don't necessarily think that that's an indicator that Osprey is going to win the next match. But they did lean hard again into the one-year decree that Osprey had that he was going to be on top. They brought it up again, so it could either be leaning towards the tragedy or we are going towards the guaranteed Will Ospreay main eventing Tokyo Dome in 2024. Like it seemed like it was going to happen last year as well. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, Vicken uh, Bjorn mentions, I don't think the final will be Osprey Okada. Didn't we just have that match recently? Yep. He had it in block play because they were in the same block. Mm-hmm. They could do it again under different circumstances. But yeah, you, you make a good point there. They, that's they that's the thing. Else. Like if you want to, if Okada. There could be a trilogy of matches with Osprey and Okada this year. And it could very much happen here, the match at the G1 and at Wrestle Kingdom. It's entirely possible. I don't think that's going to happen. Go ahead. Mm. What do you got? Well, well, he mentions that I don't think we're going to get Osprey versus Okada. We can't even necessarily assume Okada is going to be in the finals because they might scare us all with the idea of evil winning this thing. 
you know, yeah. they, they could, you know, they could have some sort of, I said, you need a bolted. heel. You need yeah. a heel in this thing. They might, they might. And, and, and if, yeah. if he beats Okada and he beats Sonata and then you get to the very end and it's evil versus Osprey or Naito. And this guy has run the table beating everybody of your favorites. That is exactly mm-hmm. the kind of narrative and nervousness that ghetto loves. Yes. Yeah. So it could be that, you know, so let's make the case here briefly. We've got a few minutes left for Okada to win the whole tournament. Well, that would be history because no one's ever won it three times. And what only Chono has won it five times. So he could hit both of those marks. So that's kind of the argument. So for back Okada. to back to back. You mean three times back to back to back. Yeah. Three in a row. Pardon me. Three in a row. He, he, he will have won three in a row at that point. That would be a record. They've already set records with him as far as title defenses during a title reign, for instance. So they've been building Okada up as an all-timer as he is, but pushing that fact too, that he's breaking records in terms of new Japan. And this could be another one for him. That's the case for Okada. The con for Okada is there are other matches that he could do with at the Tokyo Dome mm-hmm. that would have just as much interest. They could get back to, it would take a little work, but they could get back to Kiyomiya. There's also the possibility if Brian Danielson's arm heals, you could do that rematch there. And that could be a bucket list thing for uh, Danielson. And then you could also just have that incredible You could finally do Moxley and Okada. There's no reason that you couldn't do that either. It's it's unusual to go into a year where Okada doesn't have to be either the champion or the guy challenging the champion. Right. You can do other things with him, and I encourage them to do so because it's not a mid-card match. Like He could be basically a co-main event type of situation, any of those, if you put some steam on him, right? Especially the Kiyomiya thing. If Kiyomiya gets pissed off and finds a way to get under Okada's skin again, you could do that rematch. There's all kinds of things. So... I'm leaning toward Okada not winning, and he might not win the semifinal. But there it is. There is a possibility there if they wanted to continue this whole thing of making Okada an all-time icon. They could they could make him the first person to get three G1s in a row. We mentioned Evil. Doesn't need to win it. He's already got his title shot coming. So I'm kind of dismissing him. I don't think he's going to win this tournament. So that moves on to Naito and Osprey. We mentioned Osprey with that statement he made after the Kenny Omega match where he's giving himself one year. Well, you don't have to do too much mental work to figure out that that means the Tokyo Dome next year. This is a way to be in the main event, winning this thing and rising to the top there as the the, the new top foreign guy, the new top baby face, as you said. So there's a strong case for Osprey winning this thing. The obvious for Naito is that at some point, Jeremy, They've got to do Sonata versus Naito for all the marbles after he leaves LIJ the way he did, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, Th- that's, the thing thing? About, that's the thing about this Final Four, is that there's yeah. no obvious winner. No. Like, if it wasn't Naito and it was Osprey versus somebody else, I would pick Osprey to go to the finals. But because yeah. it's Naito and because Sonata is the champion and there is a story between Sonata and Naito to have some type of conflict and now that Sonata's out of the tournament potentially Naito could be out of the tournament there might not be a belt on the line between those two and that's Mm. also okay Mm. um I just the horizon is completely wide open and we're gonna have a lot more answers on Sunday about where everything is going and what we think but right now I am loving the uncertainty 
And of course, the, the other side is that Will holds the U.S. title, which also plants a seed of doubt because then, you know, there's no U.S. title match at the Tokyo Dome. Maybe not. You know, did, maybe, maybe. Yeah. Did he say something about wanting to turn that back into the Intercontinental title? I didn't hear that. But I mean, the, the U.S. thing hasn't really worked, has it? Because it doesn't get defended over here a whole lot. So, uh, he's yeah. He's too big I, of a star to be on the strong show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he certainly is. So, yeah, I mean, you can make a case for three of the four. Uh, Evil's yeah. the only one that doesn't really make sense because he sort of accomplished what he came to the tournament to get, storyline-wise. So, but I could see him knocking out Okada just to keep Okada and Osprey from happening again. And to make the fans just think, please, no, dear God, no. Yeah. You know, So that, that would bring that kind of babyface heel dynamic, certainly to the final, no doubt about it. And, of course, there's plenty of subtext still left between Evil and Naito, you know, having been former stablemates as well. So you can always bring right. that up. So, Stephen, we made it this far. Why don't you give them a reminder about when we're going live on Sunday? We're going live at uh, 4.30 Texas time. That is 2.30 Pacific, 5.30 Eastern on Sunday when we are going to talk about everything that goes on at the G1 finals. We'll mention the semifinals as well. But the main thing is we're going to have instant reaction, almost instant. It'll be a few hours later because we have to sleep. And, uh, and uh, of course, uh, that's after Power Bombshells. Power Bombshells will be on live at noon Eastern. We'll be on at about 4.30 Eastern here on uh, this very uh, YouTube feed. And, of course, we'll put the audio up on the, the podcast channel as well. So, and uh, yeah. if you are interested, we are part of the Patreon, the Fight Game Media Patreon. And if you want all of the audio in the Fight Game family, you can join the Patreon, and we are a $10 bonus. So if you join the $10 <laughs> tier, you will get the audio version into the same pod-catching features that you have with the rest of the Fight Game Media. We offer this podcast separately, but if you want to have all of the Fight Game Media family stuff all in one feed, join patreon.com at Fight Game Media. There you go. And of course, we'll back be back here next Thursday, where we will talk a little bit more and have some time to digest everything. We'll also look ahead toward the All-Star Junior Festival and Multiverse United. We'll have uh, plenty to talk about with those two cards coming up, and that'll be next Thursday. I'll wrap it up, Stephen. All right. For that, that's Jeremy Feinstone. I'm Stephen Conway. Thank you for watching. We're very glad for everyone who tuned in live. Thanks to all of you listening either here on youtube later or on uh, the podcast feed we're very grateful that we get to do this show for you we'll Thank see you. you on sunday back here next thursday we'll be talking to you again real soon